Well, today we're going to go ahead and enter back into the Word of God, and we're in the book of Nehemiah, as you can see here on the screen. And I believe God has a word for somebody here in the room today. Amen? Amen. And just tap the person next to you and say, I think it's for you. And no, tell them back. Say, no, I think it's for you. Come on, it's for us. Amen? It's, it's for us. God always has a word. I hope that you show up on Sunday expectant. I hope you show up on Sunday with your shoulders up, your eyes with contact, your Bibles open, your app open, your Bible app open, I should say, and that you're expectant and ready to hear from God because we don't need to hear another message from a man. We need to hear a word from God. And so that's my prayer for us today, and we're in Nehemiah, and today we approach the final chapter of the book. And so we're going to navigate through Nehemiah chapter 13. This is the 21st sermon in our study through Nehemiah. We've been in this book since August of 2021, and now we conclude it here today. It's kind of a bittersweet moment because I've found so much joy, principles, grace, leadership lessons, conviction, challenge in this one book in the Old Testament. Have you? Great. A few of you guys have. I'm preaching to y'all today, all right? Um, If this is your first time with us, we love the Word of God. We love to read the Word of God. We love to just jump on in it and put ourselves in the story and see Jesus all over the place and see how this Word can speak to us here today. So we're in the last chapter of Nehemiah 13, and that's where we find ourselves here today. So if you're ready, say ready. Ready. If you're hungry, say, let's eat. Let's eat. eat. Father, as we get ready to eat from your word one more time, we invite you now. God, we've sang your word. We've prayed your word. God, now we want to sit under your word. Speak to us. Speak to me. Would you pray that? Just say, speak to me, Lord. Even if you're online right now, wherever you're at, just say, Lord, speak to me right now. Soften my heart. If you're looking around the room right now, I can't see you, but if you're not focused right now, this is your invitation to focus. And say, Lord, speak to me today. Help me not to worry about football scores. Help me not to worry about payday or a new week or work assignments or what other people are thinking or what's for lunch today or God help me to think about you deeply over the next few minutes as we open your word in Jesus name amen amen Amen. well as we uh, as we turn to the last chapter and we make our way to the conclusion of Nehemiah I figured we should we should just start with the first chapter one, where we began this journey uh, over a year ago. Nehemiah chapter one, verse one. I can still remember being in the warehouse as we opened up this book and looked at verse one. Here's the setting. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa the citadel that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped who had survived the exile and concerning Jerusalem, right? Nehemiah asked these brothers who came to 
minister this word to Nehemiah. Nehemiah goes, give me a report. How's the brothers? How's the people? How's the family? How's the city? I know it got rough there. Give me the report. And sadly, the report was negative. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem's broken down. Its gates are destroyed by fire. Verse four gives us the right response to tragedy. Maybe you're walking through tragedy (laughs) right now. Maybe you're walking through chaos. Maybe you've been given bad news. Maybe you've been given uncertain news. Here's a great way to respond. Verse four, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down. Come on, somebody, sometimes you just need to sit down, amen? You don't got to run right into the fire. You don't have to run right into the chaos. Sometimes it's just important to just, let me just sit down and be with the Lord. Let me make sure I process this with him. Nehemiah sits down and he begins to weep and mourn. But it wasn't just a quick moment of grieving. This happened for days, y'all. And it's okay to mourn for days. It's okay to feel, Christian, Amen? Anybody feel me? Uh, Believer, I want to encourage you. It's okay to feel. It's okay to be human. It's okay to be like Nehemiah and sit down and not have the right words to say, but to just go to the Lord. He began praying before the God of heaven. He began fasting, which we're in 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're getting a good model here. And he said, oh Lord, the God of heaven. And that's the setting of the book. It started with prayer and fasting on behalf of difficult news and Nehemiah begins to set the trajectory for his life here. After he gets done praying, he goes and boldly approaches King Artaxerxes in a very risky way. He was the cupbearer to the king. He says, King Artaxerxes, I've got bad news that I've found out about my people in my country. Would you send me to go make a difference where I come from. Use, use me, send me. And King Artaxerxes had favor on Nehemiah and he sends him with adv- advocation. He sends him with resources. He sends him to go get the job done. Even though he didn't believe in his God, he believed in Nehemiah. Can I tell you, you might be the only Bible people see. You might be the only Jesus your boss ever reads. Your boss, your friend, your neighbor, your coworker may actually see the hand of God through you. In fact, God may use them to accomplish his mission through you. I think God can use anything, amen? amen. He, he's not impressed. He's, he's God. He's big and good all by himself. And so he'll even take somebody that doesn't even know him. He'll say, I'm going to actually use you to accomplish my mission. How about you send Nehemiah? Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem. He recruits a team. He has this God dream in his heart. I'm going to rebuild the wall. I'm going to rebuild the gates. I'm going to rebuild the people. We're going to see a revival hit the land of Jerusalem. We're going to dedicate this wall in this city back to God. Chapters 1 through 6, Nehemiah does it. And along the way, he experiences persecution. He experienced spiritual warfare. Whenever you step out to do something great for God, expect for the enemy to get upset. There was two cats in particular. 
One guy named Tobiah, who was a big hater. Expect some haters, all right? Tobiah shows up. He is displeased that Nehemiah is there seeking the welfare of the people. Another guy named Sanballat. Sanballat was upset as well, and he tried to make Nehemiah afraid. They put threats on Nehemiah's life. They tried to get him to stop building the wall. One time they wrote an anonymous letter to try to get Nehemiah to do something different, and Nehemiah knew that they were the ones who wrote the letter, and he called him on it. He said, I'm not going to respond to this letter. Stop being fake. Why don't you sign your name? (laughs) Nehemiah goes, I'm not coming down from building the wall. I'm just going to keep building and let you guys keep hating. And that's a good lesson for life, amen? When you're dealing with haters, haters going to hate. Builders are going to build, amen? Be a builder. Come on, tell the person next to you, be a builder. Build somebody up. Build this church up. Build the person. Somebody starts hating on you, instead you just start building them up. They're not going to know what to do with that. They're going to be like, man, why are you complimenting me? I just want to build you up. I don't want to tear you down. Jesus has been building me up. I'm not going to tear you down, especially my brothers and sisters in the house of God. What if the church was more known for building than tearing? Come on, amen. This is what we're called to do. Nehemiah goes, I'm not focused on the haters. I'm not focused on the fakers. I'm focused on building what God's called me to do. So then in the first eight chapters, the the wall gets built. They begin to celebrate in chapter eight. They open up the word of God. In chapter nine, Nehemiah says, we're gonna start this thing right. We're gonna start with prayer and fasting. Nehemiah sets the people into motion for a time of prayer, repentance, confession of sin, fasting. He says, I'm gonna govern with a God first mentality. They make Nehemiah the governor of the land. He begins to set in place a covenant for the people. He says, I want everybody to sign this covenant that you're going to trust the Lord. You're going to be faithful. You're going to honor him with your generosity. You're going to separate yourself from people that are believing in foreign gods, people that are trying to turn you away from God. Nehemiah says very specifically, separate yourself from them. He doesn't say hate on them. He doesn't say insult them. He doesn't say make them feel weird. He just says, you know what? Separate yourself from them. And the people sign this covenant at the end of chapter 9. And in chapter 10, they begin to live it out. In chapter 11, which we read last week, in chapter 12, they jump up on the wall and have this big praise party. They celebrate what God has done. Now, can I just tell you today, I wish this was a Disney movie where chapter 12 was the closing and we said, and they all lived happily ever after. And Nehemiah sails into the sunset as the man who built the wall. But I can tell you today, that is not how the story ends. In fact, if Nehemiah was one of those reality TV shows, uh, episode 12 ends, and it ends with one of those now gives you a little preview on the next day, and the music changes like dun, 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 and it shows Nehemiah stepping into the city. He smacks somebody. He pulls somebody's hair out. He starts yelling at everybody, and then the door slams. Next episode. And you're like, whoa. I want to watch this. I thought, wait, what's, what is going on? This is where we pick it up today for the last chapter. Because isn't that real life? Amen? It may not turn out how you expect it, but God's in it. I want to preach a message to you today that, that I'm titling, What Do You Want to Be Remembered For? Let me ask this side of the room for a second. What do you 
want to be remembered for? Let me ask the middle section here. What do you want to be remembered for? Oh, let me hit this side of the room for a second. What do you want to be remembered for? Uh, Online, what do you want to be remembered for? In fact, sometimes we do this at walk and it gets uncomfortable, but just lean into it. We're not going to be here that much longer. Ask the person next to you the title of the sermon today. Just say, hey, friend, what do you want to be remembered for? What do you want to be remembered for? Write it down in your notes. Think about it right now. What do you want to be remembered for? Think about that. You don't have to answer it right now, but just think about it because I think it's important that we think about it. You know what I'm saying? All of us are going to be remembered for something. You could choose what you want to be remembered for. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, as we get the setting of this final chapter. Here's what it says. It says, on that day, they read from the book of Moses. That alone shows us that the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, was intact, and people were reading from it as inspiration from God. On that day, they read from the book of Moses. This specific book they read from was called Deuteronomy. It's in the Old Testament. It's within the first five books of your Bible. Would encourage you to read it from from time to time. And, And see Jesus in the law. See Jesus in the book of Deuteronomy. Here we go. Read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. Verse two, for they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. Don't you love when God does that? Don't you love a God who can say, you know what, I'm gonna take that curse. They meant it for evil. I'm gonna turn it for their good. This is how our God works. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. It's important that you get that context because we're going somewhere with it. Nehemiah intentionally closes out chapter 12, goes into the first part of 13 saying they were reading from Deuteronomy chapter 23. Let me just show it to you in the book of Deuteronomy. If you want to find this, you can scroll to it or you can look at it on the screen. Here's the verse. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way. When you came out of Egypt and because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor from Pethor of Mesopotamia to curse you, but the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. You shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all your days forever. This was a very powerful, intentional, clear word. If you go back to the book of Genesis, you'll find this cat named Abraham. Abraham had a calling on his life. He's known as the father of our faith. Book of Romans chapter four would tell you that. Now, Abraham had a relative, a young cat named Lot. Lot was making the wrong decisions He was not staying on the course God had for him. In fact, he entered into sexual relations with his daughter, which was not good decision-making, which led to a new people group called the the Ammonites. And, And out of that came the Moabites. And this people group turned their hearts away from God. 
In fact, when God was rescuing the people out of Egypt in the book of Exodus, they came across the Ammonites and the Moabites, and the Ammonites and the Moabites did not help the people of God. They said, we ain't going to help you with food and water. And God said, okay, I'll remember that. Even when it comes to Nehemiah, I'll remember that. And God gave a very specific command to Moses, and he says, write this down, Moses. The Ammonites, Moabites, you don't, you don't have to war against them. You don't have to hate on them. You don't have to insult them. You don't have to sin against them. But you also don't have to invite them to a seat at your table. They will no longer be welcome in the uh, assembly of God. Now, the grace of the gospel is even in this reality, there's a young lady named Ruth who happens to be a Moabite. And Ruth, in repentance, turns to the God of Israel and marries a cat named Boaz. It's a beautiful, redemptive love story. And God creates space because he's a God of grace. But it was Ruth's faith in her repentance to follow the God of the Bible and to conform to his ways that opened that door. These people were not doing that. I wanna give you four points today when it comes to how and what do you wanna be remembered for that you can consider for your own life. Let me give you point number one. Note takers, write this down. Point number one, what do you want to be remembered for? Nehemiah said, I want to be remembered for courageous faith. Amen? Come on, help the preacher out today. Courageous faith. Courageous faith. I want to encourage you to think about that. Consider that. What does it look like to have courageous faith? Let me give you a sub point. Courageous faith looks like having a stance. Have a stance. Stand on something. I'm not talking about feeble faith. I'm not talking about wavering faith. I'm definitely not talking about lazy river faith. I'm talking about wave pool faith. I'm talking about courageous faith. The word courageous by definition means bold and brave. Courage. Be strong and courageous. Don't just have big muscles and be afraid. Have big muscles and be bold. That's what courage looks like. Courageous faith. Nehemiah said, I got a stance and I'm going to stand on it. I want to just encourage you here in the room today. This is a bold message on my part, but I think it's important that you are aware of it because we as a church have a stance. And can I tell you that our stance is on the word of God? Because this book is living and active. All 66 books are living and true. We don't take one out. We don't play around. We don't isolate just passages and disregard the rest. No, every word proves true, and it's all found in the great narrative of the gospel of Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation. We stand on the word. We stand under the word. We have a stance, and this word of God would teach us that John 14, 6, Jesus would tell us that he's the way. In other words, there's a way. Jesus doesn't say there's ways. Jesus said, I'm the truth. In other words, if there's a truth, there's also a lie. Jesus says, I'm the truth. There can't be multiple truths. Jesus says, I'm the truth. I'm not a truth. Jesus says, I'm the life. That means that life in itself is contained in a person. His name is Jesus. And then he says it like this. He says, and no one comes to the Father except through me. 
Jesus said, if you put the father in your GPS, it's always going to give you one way. It's going to say, you can try to go a bunch of different ways. It's going to end up to the street called Jesus. You might go all around loops and go the long way, the freeway, the highway, the byway. I don't know. It's going to lead you to a street called Jesus. And you got to decide if you're going to turn down that road or not. But there is a way. Jesus says, have a stance. That's our stance. You might say, well, that's closed-minded. Well, then I guess our mind is closed. Because we have a stance. And we have a Savior. And that's better than not having a Savior. I would say to... To choose him, Jesus refers to himself as the door. Oh, praise God for a door. Have a stance. Have a stance on conviction. Have a stance on purity. Have a stance on marriage. Have a stance on godliness. Have a conviction. Don't just be like, ah, you know what? I think just everything goes. I just want to love people, and I just think everybody's just great, and I just want peace. For everybody, but the the same everybody that you're talking to is mad at you because everybody feels like they have the right stance. And I just want to tell you today, I'll give you a reality statement. If you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. If you stand for nothing at all, you know, I don't really have, I don't really, uh, what's your stance? I don't really know. I don't have a stance. Then I guess you're going to fall into anything. I would say wise to have a stance on the word, the word of God. We find Nehemiah faced with a debacle here. Let's look at it together in Nehemiah 13, starting in verse 4. If you're ready, say ready. Ready. Now, before this, Eliashib, the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God. That's a big deal. Eliashib gets the assignment to oversee the chambers of the house of God. He was related to Tobiah. Anybody remember Tobiah? Who was Tobiah? The hater. Big hater. Verse 5. Prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, and the tithes of the grain, and wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levite singers, gatekeepers, and contributions for priests. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king, and after some time, I asked leave of the king, and I came to Jerusalem. And I then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the court of the house of God. I'll get into it. Sorry, y'all. I'm not sorry. Let's keep going. So hold on. Verse eight, Nehemiah goes, I was angry. No, I was very angry. And I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber, my type of energy. Then I gave orders And they cleansed the chambers, and I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. Nehemiah returns from his trip serving the king. He had promised him in chapter 1, hey, king, if I go do this and build the wall, I'll be back. Twelve years later, Nehemiah comes back. He daps up with King Artaxerxes. He tells him all about what God has done. And then he says, hey, can I go back and check on my city? I'm actually the governor. They appointed me as the governor. And I built the wall. And I established leadership. My guy Eliashib's holding it down right now. And Nehemiah comes back. Can you just envision it? 
Nehemiah gives high fives. Hey, what's up, everybody? Hey, good to see you, man. Let's go to the house of God. Let's go worship. Nehemiah steps in and goes, whose stuff is all this? This was supposed to be the room that kept all the holy stuff. I like how J. Vernon McGee says it in his commentary. McGee says, the priest had turned over the temple storage room to Tobiah. They no longer brought the offerings of the people to the storage place. Instead, they cleaned it out, put down a nice shag rug, some lovely furniture, a king-sized bed, and invited old Tobiah to come in. How? This is a big L. Loss. And Nehemiah goes, not on my watch. I got a stance. Nehemiah takes Tobiah's stuff and says, get out of here. He starts moving. I can just imagine when Tobiah comes back thinking he's got it like that. Nehemiah's out of my way now. I'm just going to go creep up in this place, and I'm just going to set myself up, even though I was the biggest hater. Tried to make Nehemiah afraid. And Nehemiah comes back and says, no, 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 no. We have a stance. What's our stance? Our stance is on the word. Don't you remember what we just read in Deuteronomy 23? Well, Tobiah is an Ammonite. Tobiah the Ammonite doesn't believe in the God of the Bible, doesn't believe in Yahweh, is in fact upset. Nehemiah chapter 2, let's look at this verse. Nehemiah chapter 2, it says, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. They were upset. They mocked Nehemiah. They tried to do whatever they could to stop. They put death threats on his life. And Nehemiah said, hey, I'm going to keep building. And now Eliashib invites him to take over a room? May it never be. Let me give you that in a reality statement. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Don't give the enemy a seat at your table. When it comes to relationships, be careful who you date. I would even discourage this concept of missionary dating. Y'all know what that is? It's like, you know what? I'm just dating them to lead them to Jesus. <laughs> That's going to lead you to sin, all right? Just let me blow that up. You might be sitting with that person right now. Hey, a good idea is friendship <laughs> before you jump into that. Don't give the enemy a seat at the table. Don't give the enemy a place in your bed. Yeah. Talking to anybody? Yeah. Don't give the enemy that place. The invitation is not there. It doesn't lead to good. Let me show you what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. Maybe you've heard of this verse before. Don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. One translation says bad company ruins good character. You might be working on your character. You get the wrong people in your life. Your character goes sideways. I know people that had a dream for business. They had a great business plan. It was a kingdom business plan. They invited the wrong people to get in on that business plan, and it went the wrong direction. And they're still trying to recover. What happened? You invited the wrong people to the table. That's what happened. So I want to encourage you today from Nehemiah. Nehemiah goes, I ain't playing with Tobiah. Get his stuff out of here. Respectfully. (laughs) Bye. You gots to go. You gots to go. I love what Proverbs chapter 14, verse 7 says. Proverbs 14 says, leave the presence of a fool. For there you do not meet words of knowledge. 
The words of knowledge are, are, are not there. It's okay to say, I'm going to excuse myself from this relationship because the wisdom, the knowledge, the same spirit, the Christ-likeness is not there. So I, I can't stay. I got to go, and I'll pray for you <laughs> respectfully. Somebody say, have a stance. Courageous faith. Nehemiah goes, hey, listen, I know that Tobias got this nice little suite set up in here, um, but I got just enough courage and I got just enough faith to hit delete on this room. (laughs) In fact, we didn't even set this room up. In fact, where's all the stuff that's used to serve the house? Let me give you point number two. First point was courageous faith. How do you want to be remembered? Uh, How about radical generosity? I want to be remembered for radical generosity. Not just surfaceable generosity, but generosity that somebody goes, that's radical. (laughs) Nehemiah was in that boat. In fact, Nehemiah's whole life was radical, wasn't he? To ask the king to go, to go with the resources, to risk his life to go on this mission to try to build a wall, to start a construction company, to become the governor. The whole thing is radical. To kick out Tobiah, radical. And he wanted to lead with generosity. Let's look at the text together, starting in verse 10. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 10. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them. In other words, The people that Nehemiah hired stopped getting paid so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their stations. Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, Pedadiah the Levites, and their assistant Hanan, the son of Zachar, son of Mataniah, for they were considered, say that R word with me, reliable. Oh man, find some people that are reliable, amen? How do you want to be remembered? Oh man, be remembered as somebody that's reliable. Nehemiah comes back and he's like, hold up, where's everybody? And they're like, oh, they don't work here no more. Nehemiah said, who made that call? We stopped paying them a long time ago. Why? Who's taking care of the house? Who's taking care of the place we built for the Lord? They're like, man, we don't, we just let them, we, we brought Tobiah in. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait! Nehemiah's freaking out. He's a man. He's got flesh. <laughs> and he says, go get everybody back and find the people that are reliable. They're hired. Nehemiah hires new people because they're going to make the right decisions. Their duty was to distribute to their brothers. In other words, Nehemiah said, pay them. Get everybody back what they need. Remember me, oh my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. Nehemiah says, hey, if anybody forgets God, would you remember? Remember that I put your house first. In fact, when I think about this point, radical generosity, let me add the sub point. Radical generosity, build the house. Come on, somebody say build the house. Build the house. house. You'll never regret building God's house. 
I would even say today, you build God's house, God will build your house. If you say, you know what, I'm gonna put God's house first. I'm so grateful for my brother Mario. He was just telling me right before this service started, he goes, it was Friday, I got home from a long day at work, I propped my feet up on my chair, and I sat there and I thought, this feels good, and then I remembered. You know what, there's joy in building God's house. I got up off my chair, I came over here and started setting up these piping drapes and laying down chairs, because I'm a man that wants to build God's house. And I love what he said. He goes, I found that there's more joy in building God's house. Not that you have to, but man, it's fun to build, build the house. I mean, I want to highlight that in the text. In verse 14, look at, look at what Nehemiah says. He goes, Lord, remember me, oh my God, for I built the house. I'm grateful for everybody that's in this church that gave to us getting new chairs. Your gifts are honored. You're helping build the house. Grateful for a little extra cushion, amen? Grateful for our sister Luz who made these different uh, things at the bottom of the chairs to put the connection cards in. I'm grateful for everybody who shows up here on Friday night and stays for multiple hours to build the house. I'm grateful for the people that got here at 6 a.m. this morning, opened up the doors with the custodian and said, I'm here to build the house, that are gonna leave here at 2 p.m. when we have to get out of here. Why are you there so late? Don't you want to go to lunch? I want to go build God's house. I'll get there. God's going to take care of me. Seek first the kingdom. He'll add everything else that you need and probably a little bit more. He's just that good. Praise God for building the house. I want to encourage you. God will remember that. Lord, do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. I've been making this encouragement to you. And can I just tell you one more time, when I stand up here, I see a lot of shadowy heads. In other words, I'm not making eye contact with anybody specific right now. In fact, how am I doing? Is my ratio on the left side and the right side pretty equal? If not, I can try to equalize it because I don't want anybody to say I was favoritizing anything. Listen, one of the ways you can build God's house is through tithing. Proverbs chapter three says... I honored the Lord by giving him my first, my first fruits. And in return, God grew my business. He said, my, my, my fields had more fruit. My, my wine was bursting. I, I honored God first, and God honored me back. I, I'm telling you, you can trust him. In fact, the only place in the Bible where God says, test me, is in Malachi chapter 3 in the context of tithing. Now, I know tithing for some may feel like radical generosity. What do you want to be remembered for? Having a big bank account? It's just going to go to somebody else. What do you want to be remembered for? Be remembered for building the house. Nehemiah says, look, God, that's how I want to be remembered. Lord, don't remember me for all the stuff I had. Remember me for all, all that I did for your house. I want to encourage you to think that way. God first mentality. And only you know if you know if you're doing that or not. And I'm not saying that to try to push for a money agenda. I'm saying that to try to help you get on a godly agenda. Can I tell you this? God does not need your money. He sure doesn't. He doesn't. But you need to learn how to be like God and be generous. The only way to do that is by letting, oh, 
Okay, God. I, I let go. Hey, how can you receive if you're like this? How can God put anything into your hands? This is all mine. God says, I guess you got enough. God said, I had more to give you, but you look really, really tight. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 11 says, the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The world of the generous gets bigger and bigger. This is God's economy. And now, now let me just say this. It's taken me 10 years to figure this out. It's taken me 10 years to figure this out. This is, this is not to shame anybody in the room. You, you don't have to be where I'm at. It's okay. I wasn't always at this place. To, someone recently asked me, he said, hi, hey, Hayden, so, you know, I know, I know tithing is just something you have to do. I said, well, it's not something you have to do. But, man, it's something I love to do. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite things to do is give to the Lord. One of my favorite things to do is build the house. Oh, man, it's one of my favorite things to do because it's in doing so you get to see God do something. It's, it's in that moment you get to trust him greater. It's in that moment you, have, you, you get to let go and, and let God and then watch God and trust God and pray to God and say, God, you got to do it. And he always does it. Yeah. I can't give you the recipe on how. That's a faith thing. But I would encourage you to go for it. You'll never regret building God's house. You'll never regret building God's house. Can I say it one more time? Yeah. Yeah. You'll never regret building God's house. Amen? Amen? Let me give you point number three. Oh, man, we could have stayed on that one longer. Point number three is simply this, unpopular obedience. Oh, what do you want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered for unpopular obedience. Being obedient even when it's not the cool thing to do. Being obedient even when the culture goes the other direction when the society goes the other direction, when your school goes the other direction and you say, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna put God first and it might not be popular, but that's okay because I wanna be popular with him. Yeah. Remember me, oh God. This is where Nehemiah's at. Come on, let's look at it in verse 15. Are you still with me? Yeah. Nehemiah 13, verse 15. In those days, I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath. Can you see Nehemiah walking around? It's the Sabbath, and he's saying, what's going on here? Bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys, and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyranians also who lived in the city brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Do you see the exclamation point? Nehemiah is journaling this right now. He's getting more upset the more he writes. He says, then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing that you are doing? First, Tobiah's living in the house. Next, you fired all the workers of the house. Now you set a farmer's market up on the Sabbath? What is this evil thing that you're doing, profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not our God bring all of this disaster on us and on this city? Now you're bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. That's what Nehemiah does. He says, this is gonna be unpopular because I'm messing with the business. People are starting to make a lot of money on the Sabbath day. 
They're saying, okay, it's the Sabbath day. It's the rest day. This is a great day to open up the market. This is a great day to bring the fish in and the figs in and the fruits in and to sell all types of stuff and to go all crazy with our business. Even though Nehemiah made a sign of covenant in chapter nine that we wouldn't do that. Well, he was actually gone. And so we're gonna open it up. So Nehemiah shows back up and he's saying, what are y'all doing? I thought we had a God first mentality. Can I just tell you this really quick? In the New Testament, it's less about what day you pick to Sabbath, but it's more about you picking a day to Sabbath. God has given us all seven days in a week. He has called us to take one of those days to rest. And if you think you're big enough, strong enough, and bad enough, you're not bigger and badder and gooder and stronger than God. If God, in the beginning of time, took one day to rest, how much more should you? Listen to me. If you're one of those cats that are like, man, yo, 24-7, seven days a week, I grind. You don't sound cool. You don't sound cool. You sound burnt out. You sound tired. You sound like you're going to last short. You're not going to make it. That's a quick recipe to stress, to depression, and to being tired. Everybody needs one day to give to the Lord for the purpose of rest. In other words, do something completely different than what you do on your normal schedule. In fact, if you don't appreciate the Sabbath day on the other six days, you ain't working hard enough. I like to get to my Sabbath day and like, whoo, I needed this day. I'm going to In-N-Out. I'm putting the In-N-Out hat on. Don't call me. Don't text me. I'm not answering. I'm chilling. <laughs> Hear it from me first. If you like to go to the movies and just get a popcorn and Coke, do it on the Sabbath day. And turn your phone off. Turn social media off. Don't do work on that day. Give it to the Lord and say, God, this is a holy day for you. I'm just going to chill. I need to recover it's actually the Sabbath day that you get to boost up for the coming up week. If you just go all seven days, the next week's going to suffer. Take that one day and rest up. Take that one day and chill. I remember when I was playing basketball as a profession. I would hoop so much Monday too. All throughout the week, I would always take one day. I'd say, I'm not going to touch a ball. I'm not going to hoop. And I would come back that next day hungry to hoop. Now, these days, I don't hoop like that. So I take that one day. Basketball for me is now something I can do on my rest day. It's more relaxing. Shoot a couple shots. I don't know what that looks like for you. I'm trying to give you examples because I know that some of you are on this clock grind where you're like, you know what? I got to just go. I got to go all day, every day. And your family needs you to rest one. Your city needs you to rest one. Your church needs you to rest one. Your business needs you to rest one. Nehemiah says... I started walking around. I started closing down shops right there on the spot. Yeah. I mean, I want you to look at this with me. We find this on display. Even when it's not popular, even when it doesn't make sense. Let me give you the sub point. Unpopular obedience, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it requires shutting down the business and losing money, are you still winning with him? Does not God have control over all of it? He does. Come on, look at this text in verse 19. Watch Nehemiah's energy. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, 
I commanded that the doors should be shut. And I gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. Nehemiah goes, okay, watch how this goes. We're going to do the Sabbath day. When it gets nighttime, I'm shutting the doors. No business is going to happen like that on the next day. Here's what he says. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates that no load might be brought in on the Sabbath day. Verse 20. Then the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. So these merchants came and said, all right, we're just going to chill outside the gates. Once they open, I'm first in. Nehemiah opens the gates. I warned them and said to them, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I'll lay hands on you. Come on right there. (laughs) What? Is this the Bible? He was not talking about prayer. Nehemiah, come on, boxer, gangster Nehemiah opens the gates. And he says, listen up, everybody. You can't hang out right here. If you do it again, I'll lay hands on you. Oh, I love Nehemiah. Let me just highlight that because I want you to Nehemiah goes, you're going to catch these hands, y'all. Don't mess with the Sabbath. Don't profane the Sabbath. And notice the response. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. <laughs> they were like, look, I ain't catching those hands. Those Nehemiah hands. Nehemiah had bricks. <laughs> I, ain't, I ain't messing with that guy's crazy. Verse 22. No, that, that guy's got God with him. I ain't trying to catch those holy hands. Verse 22. Then, then I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come and guard the gates to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember this also in my favor, oh my God. God, remember what I'm doing. God, take notes of how I'm moving. It was unpopular to take the Sabbath off. It didn't make sense to many people, but God, we trust you even more than what makes sense. In fact, let's get to a place that what makes sense is to trust God. If you're in a confusing situation, if you don't know quite what to do, do what you know to do. Trust God. In fact, Proverbs 3 tells you, trust in the Lord with all your heart, not just 70%, all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In fact, your understanding's probably off. Your understanding's probably tainted. Don't lean on your understanding. Lean on God. Lean on the everlasting arms. And then he'll guide your paths. And then he'll make your path straight. That's the Proverbs, isn't it? God, I want you to guide me. He says, well, trust me. Well, how much? All your heart. Ooh. Spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. I I know that there's business owners in the room. I know there's people that own their own companies. I know there's people that have different work related environments. Hey, listen, I'm not trying to tell you how to run your business. I just think that you should take this and apply it to your life and ask the Lord what you should do. At minimum, he wants you, you, you to take one day where you don't work. I don't know how that translates into your space, but consider that day as a holy day for the Lord and honor him with it and he'll honor you back. Amen? Amen. Let me give you the fourth and final point. We're closing. Good choices. Good choices. Uh, What do you want to be remembered for? 
be remembered for, for good choices. Why do I call it good choices? Well, because the last thing that we see, Nehemiah comes back and there's four points of sin. There's four moments of rebellion. Right? Nehemiah comes back from serving the king, four moments of rebellion. Uh, rebellion number one, y'all invited Tobiah to live here? Why? How? No. Get his stuff out. Uh, rebellion number two, you fired all the workers and didn't pay them on time? Get people in here that are reliable. P- point number three, you guys are profaning, disrespecting the Sabbath? We got to get a God first mentality. Point number four, they started to intermingle and marry with outsiders of the faith. The very thing that Nehemiah pleaded with them in Nehemiah 9 and 10. Don't do that. Nehemiah comes back. He starts to see little kids run around the street, and the little kids are worshiping false gods. And Nehemiah looks at people and says, why would you let your son do that? Why would, we, we made a pact together that you wouldn't do that. And you got people saying, well, yeah, but she was fine, though. <laughs> yeah, but you don't, you know, he, he had a lot of money, though. Nehemiah goes, what happened to the covenant we made? I think it was here that Nehemiah just stopped putting his trust in people and said, God, I'm going to let go of the people. Just remember me. (laughs) This is how Nehemiah ends. We're at the last verses. Nehemiah says, don't you guys know about Solomon, King David's son, Solomon, who gave his life to worship the Lord, who built the temple that his dad dreamed of, but his dad couldn't do it, too much blood on his hands. God said, your son Solomon will build it. Solomon, 1 Kings 8, prays the most beautiful prayer of repentance, builds the altar, sacrifices are happening, loves God, and then he meets Shorty over here. And she believes in a different faith. And she's got all her spices and herbs and different lowercase g gods. And then he meets another one of her. And before you know it, Solomon has 1,000 wives and concubines, maidservants. That sounds terrible. Nightmare. A lot of child support. A lot of kids. A lot of bad arguments. No time for the Lord. How do you keep up? Shipwrecked his faith. The great Solomon who inked the words of the Proverbs. Don't go to her house. Some believe Solomon wrote the Proverbs in response to his own life. Here's all the mistakes I made. That's why you should read the Proverbs every day. And Nehemiah says, Don't you guys remember what Solomon did? It didn't end well for him. Why are we doing the same mistakes? The end of Nehemiah chapter. In in fact, and it says Nehemiah beat some people and pulled their hair out. (laughs) You got to read it for yourself. It says Nehemiah beat some of them and pulled out their hair. (laughs) Let's look at verse 28. And one of the, now was that right? I'm not saying that that was right. I'm saying that was the flesh probably. But this guy was passionate about the Lord. And one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, this high priest was not doing his job. He was the son-in-law of Sanballat, this guy again. Nehemiah says, well, therefore I chased him from me. 
29, remember them, O my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites, verse 30, thus I cleansed them from everything foreign in Nehemiah's power. He he established, he says, and I established the duties of the priests and Levites, each in his own work, 31, and I provided the wood offering at appointed times and for the first fruits, and then Nehemiah gets to the last sentence of this powerful story. And he says, remember me, oh my God, for good. End of the book. Nehemiah says that, that's it. Worship team, help me close this out. We got to respond. Remember me. Oh my God, for good. Remember me for my good choices, Lord. Don't remember me for pulling out hair. Don't remember me for laying on hands the wrong way. Remember me, oh my God, for good. I love what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said. He said, the time is always right to do what is right. It's time to do good. I had somebody ask me just this this week. They said, hey, I'm dealing with this situation. What do you think I should do? And I said, you know what? You want me to give you the honest answer? I think you should do the right thing. Oh! That was it. Short convo. I don't think you should do the wrong thing. Okay. How about you have unpopular obedience? trust the Lord even when it doesn't make sense how about you have courageous faith how about you have radical generosity how about you make good choices point four good choices choices that end up with God's glory God glorifying decision making what should be the number one motivation when it comes to you making a decision it's God's glory is God going to get any glory out of this If not, finish it for me. Don't do it. If God doesn't get the glory, don't do it. God doesn't get the glory. You know what? You don't need it. I want to pray Matthew 5, 16 over everybody. Would you just stand with me? Would you stand as we close with a time of prayer? We're going to close with worship. Matthew 5, 16 says it like this. In the same way, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I want to commission everybody in the room to do good works so that people in your life would look at you and say, I got to give God glory for what you just did. I got to give God glory for what you just said. Your good works result in God's glory, and I promise you, you'll feel joy. When God gets the glory, you feel satisfaction. When we get the glory, we kind of feel empty. Can I tell you God's created you for good? Ephesians 2.10 says it like this. Come on, open your hands. Open your hands with me. Let's read this off the screen. Hands open. Chest out. Heart posture. Ready to receive. We are God's masterpiece. Come on, read it with me. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Amen? Come on, take hold of it. Receive it. Believe it. 
Receive it. Believe it. Step up. Step out. Receive it. Take hold of it. God has planned for me to do good. God thinks of me and thinks of me doing good. Good choices leading to God's glory. That should be our ambition. That should be our aim. We should build our lives. Come on, we should build our lives around that. And you'll be glad you did. And you'll get to the end of your day someday and say, that's how I want to be remembered. I want to be remembered for that stuff. That's what Nehemiah said to the Lord. Remember me for that, God. Let's pray. Lord, we breathe you in today. And God, we thank you for King Jesus who loves us, who died for us, who calls us his own. Today, I want to invite you to pray a prayer of repentance. Repent of anything you need to repent of. Turn to the Lord and trust him. And right now, call upon his name and just say, Jesus, I believe in you. I'm ready to follow your way. I don't want to follow my way. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave. Fill me with the Holy Ghost. Put your spirit within me. Guide me. Lead me. Change me. Give me a new heart. Give me a new mind. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.